And we're back. I'm Gervier Brom here with Chamatkar Sandu, and we are screen off script. This week, we're getting into Jordan Peele's Nope, SDCC, and WWE's SummerSlam. Did you see a UFO in that cloud? Yep. Nope. I ain't never seen yep. nothing like this. In our first segment, we're talking spoilers for Nope. If you want to skip around, we got timestamps in the description. Again, we're going to be talking about SDCC. We got SummerSlam, all this kind of stuff in the show. So go ahead, check that out. Jump with the first thing. We're talking about Nope. I kind of want to understand like what your thought process was going in. Because like uh, Jordan Peele is like a very unique movie experience, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What, what were your thought process kind of like walking in? Did you watch the trailer? Did you have any idea of what you were kind of walking into? Yeah, sure. I mean, I watched all of the trailers. I know we have the different points of view on that. You don't watch trailers. That's I me. do watch trailers. But the, the, cool, the cool thing about Jordan Peele movies, you ain't got a clue what's happening. You don't know what it's about. Even the trailer doesn't really give you any insight into what the story is going to be about, what kind of characters we're going to see or anything like that. It just gives you a bit of a visualization in terms of what you're going to kind of expect. But uh, in terms of walking in, I was just like, I have no idea. Blank slate, clear mind and just give me what you got. And uh, yeah, that's basically the, I think most people's kind of um, Jordan Peele movie experiences at the moment. It's like you go in, you know, with not too much of an idea of what this movie is going to be about. Yeah, 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 very much so. And I think that's kind of what's fun about Jordan Peele movies at this point, yeah. right? Like, it's like, we know we're going to get, like, something with some sort of social commentary. We know it's going to be slight, like, either very much or kind of in the horror genre. And and that's pretty much it, mm-hmm. right? And I think we expect a certain level of quality at this point, yes. right? Like, it's kind of crazy that this guy kind of just walked onto the scene after being, uh, having such a pedigree in the, like, the field of, like, comedy and to just like walk into number one directing but directing horror movies and now all of a sudden he's already being considered as like one of the best horror directors in the field right now and a lot of people are starting to argue all time kind of like that kind of category as well and he's so humble like you know yeah. he even said on social media the other day that you know for him it's john carpenter so respect for him so being being so humble in the moment itself yeah. you know yeah yeah of course and he's so early in his career too like we just don't know where he's gonna go the worst comparison i see and like obviously it's because of uh their early successes but for me it kind of bothers me when people compare him to like m night Shyamalan. oh okay. I, I don't see the m night Shyamalan comparisons like sure he likes a twist but that's where it ends for me like he is so much more than than what m night has contributed to like the horror if you ask me well i mean we're gonna get to the full review later but so far he's i mean peels three for three Peels three for three and man. you can't say that about m night Shyamalan's first three movies yeah and you can't say that all about like i would put these three movies that Jordan's got against any three M. Night Shyamalan movies. And I think they're better overall, period. The only one that I would even have in that conversation is like Sixth Sense. Yeah, I agree with that. Right? Like everything else kind of falls to the wayside if you yeah, ask true. me. Yeah, true. Right? Especially when you start criticizing it and start really like looking at it. Yeah, when we talk about Jordan Peele, like we're talking about somebody who really is, is he cares so much about details, right? Like, and this movie specifically is very detail driven, but so much more subtle than his previous work. Mm-hmm. A lot of his other stuff is like, all right, cool, get out, talk about social commentary, talking about race relations and us talking about classism. It's right in your face. You can't avoid these kinds of, uh, kind of addressing the topic that he's talking about. This one is a lot more subtle because it affects every single person, whether you like it or not. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about themes, I think the two biggest themes coming out of this movie for me is capitalism, and the idea of trying to tame the beast, you know, and there's two very different stories within the movie itself. Yeah. 
um, th that he kind of like, you know, really harks on that whole idea of trying to tame a beast. And we think, you know, we're I, the alpha male of the species and all well, this kind like of stuff, Well, like taming right? the beast is, is basically like, I, I see almost that part of like the story is like spectacle, mm -hmm. right? And it's the idea of, the idea of taming the beast that is spectacle, mm -hmm. right? We're trying to monetize. Like he actually had this interview recently where he's talking about other kind of titles that he was kind of deciding between uh, when he was kind of writing the movie. He was going to call it Little Green Men just because of the monetization of spectacle that he was kind of dealing with. It's funny because walking in this movie, I was like, all right, cool. This is an alien movie. This isn't really an alien movie. Am I wrong? Like I, for me, this is very much a kaiju monster like if this is this is closer to like jurassic park than any alien movie i've seen did you ever watch um x-files growing up a little bit a little bit yeah okay so i was a big big fan of the x-files yeah it's like one of my favorite shows of all time right and and kind of going into this movie and how i absorb this movie is i would even classify this one as a horror personally me neither, me neither. it's like there was definitely a couple of moments where you kind of do jump and it, he, he kind of gets you yeah but it's not a horror movie for me it's almost like a mystery that's kind of unraveling itself as you kind of kind of get deeper and deeper into the movie yeah. and like the way i kind of was kind of thinking about it post you know leaving the cinema was like this was almost like one of the best episodes of the x-files but blown up into a movie through the lens of jordan peele yeah because yeah, there yeah. were some episodes of the x-files where it was straight up horror and then there were some where it was just an investigation it was a mystery and you the viewer is uh, you're finding out as much as the lead characters are finding out yeah, yeah, yeah. about this creature or this mystery and whatnot whatnot so yeah i mean i wouldn't classify it quote unquote as an alien movie but it's definitely something uh, you know, mystery is what I would kind of use it's, yeah. it's a mystery basically it's a mystery and you still don't get all the answers by the end of the movie and, and that's what you know what I want to talk about that a little bit later but like that is one of like the best deliveries of Jordan Peele because mm -hmm. he doesn't spoon feed you like exactly what you should know like he leaves it very much to like open to interpretation and that's why these movies are so much fun because mm -hmm. I kind of view uh, a Jordan Peele movie almost like when a crazy hip-hop album is about to drop i'm looking at like kendrick albums and like albums that i can digest and, and stand the test of time as well yeah and like sit with and yeah. like take the time to like all right cool what's he what's you trying to get across what's the overall theme what's the theme over here blah 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 and like you have these like barbershop discussions with your friends and stuff like that mm -hmm. that's what a jordan peele movie is at this point facts it's a pop culture moment that you can have a discussion about way longer than when you fucking watch that you're not going to have those discussions about many movies these days it's definitely you know if everything everywhere all at once didn't come out this year i would say that jordan peele's nope is definitely the most out there different movie experience you would get in 2022 if it hadn't been for everything everywhere all at once Listen, the best thing is like the fact that that's the conversation right we're having, yes. right like all these original topics or original like uh forms of story that are being told this year so that's so much more interesting than like all right cool like and, and it's funny because we're going to talk about sdcc very soon but like the idea of like comparing those completely different experiences because mm -hmm. when we go to a marvel movie we're talking about spectacle as well yeah but we are a part of that we are the monster you know what i mean yeah. like for for this movie we're sitting and we're like examining like, well, what, what what part are we of this or what part of we have the general idea of spectacle and being a part of that are you watching closely first thing uh, i think we should kind of break down is the first thing you see on the screen and it's that Bible verse that he kind of brings up. Uh, it's Nahum 3.6. And I will cast abominable filth upon thee and make thee vile and will set thee as a spectacle. Right? And, and he says it like basically right at the top. And it's basically just the idea that like, listen, we're going to take you for everything you're worth. And we're going to turn you into the spectacle. And mm -hmm. we're going to like that. That's what's going to happen. And, and the Bible verse, obviously, it's very different context. But over here, he's using it in like 
how we are a part of this with our phones, with everything else. Like we are very much the the product and the consumer simultaneously of this fucking huge thing that's happening. Yeah, and I think the um, the two things I was thinking about earlier on is like you know spectacle slash capitalism and then the idea of taming the beast is is best I guess told through the character of Jupe. Mm-hmm. Both as a, as a young boy, well, but also as a, right? every single person. But I think mostly through Jupe, mm-hmm. right? And let me let me elaborate on that. It's like, you know, he has this moment when he's a, a kid on a, on a '90s sitcom, and you know, this ape Gordy goes crazy and kills everyone essentially. Yeah, right? and Jupe is uh, just for context is like is Steven Yeun's character mm-hmm. who's ran uh, Ricky Park as That's well. That's right. Yeah, right. And so you would think that you know, given what he went through as a kid, seeing that this beast, this ape wasn't able to get tamed on you know a a hollywood set yeah he would have ideas of you know maybe not going down that road again and here he is as an adult and this time it's jean jacket it's this mysterious object that you know as we find out he's been able to quote unquote tame yeah for a period of six months as a form of spectacle to sell tickets and to get his theme park you know um the money generating through you know you know folks coming through but ultimately it becomes his demise yeah, yeah and yeah. that's the duality of him going through that both from a spectacle point of view and trying to tame this beast and he goes through it twice as a kid as as an adult yeah. and ultimately it's his death yeah it's it's such an interesting thing because i i view it almost like every single character is dealing with spectacle in such a different way because so many people deal with spectacle in such an interesting way. With Jupe's character, I almost view it as like he's very much aware that, you know, he had that whole experience with Gordy's home and the monkey killed everybody. And there's even like little great, like I think number one, the Steven Yeun character, bringing that up as the first one is fantastic because he's such, he's only really there for like a short period of time. Mm-hmm. But he's so effective in getting his message across because he has like the lighthearted moments where you're like, oh, this was the first exploding fist bump on TV. And you're like, whoa, that's fucking a hilarious detail to add into a story. And then he has this huge monologue taught like just uh, talking about how uh, the pop culture relevancy of this moment that happened to him when he was a kid through the lens of Saturday Night Live. Whereas this guy's avoiding actually talking about the fucking trauma that he went through right. by just making it seem like, hey, guys, look, this really crazy thing happened and look how much money I've been making out of it. And look, mm-hmm. you can actually just come and rent my room and like come hang out completely avoiding that there, this is a really fucking traumatic incident that actually happened to you and it still affects you every single day and you can still see the effect that it has going forward but the money's there yeah i might as well take advantage of this Agreed. it's a bad idea if i don't because what else i'm going to do right it's interesting too just because when we are starting to talk about characters like even before we get into specific characters i kind of want to talk about the idea of what jordan peele why why it works right like why do these movies work from his lens specifically because it's almost like a tarantino-esque brand that he's building at this point even even this movie it only really works because it's his third movie right people are familiar with the brand it's it's like the same reason that like kendrick lamar can get away with making you know to pimp a butterfly high concept albums like mr morale and the big steppers and it's because like people are familiar with these brands because of things like Get Out or in in Kendrick's case, Good Kid, Mad City. Such a uh, digestible album that's so fucking hard, got bangers, all that kind of stuff. But it's like a part of like, you know, people's shared experience. But he's because he's able to deliver that at first, now he's able to deliver anything else he wants and people are going to be on the road with him at this Mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. What did you see? Hmm? That was big. How big? Big. What it looked like. I don't know. It was fast. 
too fast. Too quiet to be a plan. OJ. Are you saying what I think you're saying? All right, let's talk about uh, Daniel Kaluuya as an actor. Yes. Right. What do you What do you think his contribution is in in, in this movie? I think this time around, it's more of a subdued um, you know, performance from him. It's not. He's not really kind of like the one that is the big takeaway for me. For me, it's Kiki Palmer. She's the kind of the the character and the and the the actor that kind of steals the show for me. Daniel Kaluuya definitely plays his role, but for me, this is all about Kiki. And I feel like every movie, there's going to be one or two actors that are going to break through. Jordan Peele just let it elevate them. And I think moving forward from this movie, from Nope, Kiki Palm's going to be like the next one that's going to be starring in a lot of different movies, I think. I don't know. I, I don't I don't know if I have that same take. Yeah. I, I kind of walk away with thinking like, shit, Daniel Kaluuya is the most talented actor in this movie. And, and it's mostly because like he, because what Kiki Palmer is really getting across is she is a very charismatic actress and personality because that's what she's kind of known for. Yeah. But with Daniel Kaluuya, like this guy is entering these movies every single time and he brings such a level of intensity that I, I don't know if I walk away thinking like, well, going forward, he she's going to be the one that gets bigger roles. I almost think... Not bigger than him. I mean, he's already good. He's the man. He's, he's, the he's, man, he's, yeah. a, he's an Oscar winner. He's Bro, good. I, but I think it's more than that. I think Daniel Kaluuya at this point is cementing himself as one of the best actors of his generation. Sure, I agree with that. A hundred percent. Like, he's at the point where Fred, uh, the Fred Hampton role, yeah, his yeah, yeah. get out, everything. It's just, this guy is cementing himself. And by the way, I'm not so, downplaying, downplaying his performance whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I just feel like this was kind of like, um, it was almost like a silent performance in many ways. Intensity. It was It was more about what he could get across in those moments where there wasn't much dialogue to say. Yeah. Right? Whereas I feel like Kiki, that's where Jordan Peele, as a writer, he's giving us some incredible dialogue and she's just like elevating his dialogue off the page. I agree. There's so with much that. charisma. You know what though? It's the it's the difference of like being like, all right, cool, this person is like really fun to watch versus like when I sit there and I, I go, okay, cool, like I'm watching that character, but then I look at Daniel Kaluuya and I'm just watching every single reaction, every little thing he's doing. Yeah. And like even just him like staring at somebody with such intensity, I'm like, I'm uncomfortable because this guy's so uncomfortable right now. Like even like the horse scene. Yeah. Where at the very start with the, where he mm -hmm. sees himself in the mirror. Yeah. Just the intensity of what Daniel Kaluuya is trying to get across by saying as little as possible and not being uh, dramatic and... Uh, messing up his hustle in that kind of situation. Right, right, right. This guy's incredible. I love the duality between the brother and the sister as well. I feel like, you know, OJ and Kiki, like, they're so different in terms of their personalities, but it just works. And you do believe them as brother and sister because you yeah. can tell they've lived completely different lives yeah. given what they've inherited, given their family and whatnot. Yeah, and, and, and you are right, though, because the best writing definitely comes through Kiki Palmer, right? It goes through her because she is almost like this voice of reason at times, right? Where, where Danny Kaluuya has like this thing where he's, he has to fucking carry on the tradition of his family and he's got to keep working hard and stuff like that. And she's like, well, I'm on the other side. I want to start something for myself and I want to do everything for myself. Two completely different perspectives. Yeah. But they balance each other so well because that's what family is. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's really what it is. And, and uh, there's one line that she had that I think really encapsulates their relationship really, really well. And it's when she says, you're making me feel not loved. Is that what you want your little sister to feel? And I'm like, damn, that's what being a family is. Because that it's 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 being that's a, that's raw, that's honest, and that's exactly how, like that's exactly what somebody in that kind of relationship should be saying. Right. But they don't. Yeah. And also we have to we haven't mentioned this, but the movie essentially starts with their old man passes away because of Jean Jacket. Yeah. And that's the the the, the catalyst for everything that happens after that. Because yeah. here you have OJ 
selling horses to dupe yep. and dupe is using those horses to feed jean jacket so it's, it's this vicious cycle that starts yeah because they're all man passing away yeah and, and also like even just addressing the idea of oj as a great name otis jr like <laughs> it's just oj to make your 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 movie like that and and you're talking about fame and spectacle and like all the kind that is a perfect fucking name and you know the, the racial kind of like social commentary that we saw in get out Yes, we don't really get you know it hammered home, but I love the the scene and the moments that we got during the the green screen where the horse is there, and you just have literally this all white Hollywood crew, yeah, and they're kind of like you know liaising with these kind of horse wranglers, yeah, finding yeah. out all this information and finding out his name's OJ, and yeah. you know is the horse safe? And yeah, they feel so kind of like almost intimidated and scared in that presence in terms of what's going to happen and what's going on and i just love that jordan peele in that one scene is able to still conjure up some of that uh, anxiety that a lot of people perhaps unnecessarily have to go through when it comes to situations like this yeah totally. yeah exactly and like the whole idea of the movie is like they're just trying to get their shot right yeah. like and, and it's their shot of like getting out of this a, a terrible situation that they're in and it's the literal shot what one real quick thing i just want to uh, mention before we even move on is just the level of like iconic framing and shots that Jordan Peele was able to capture because on one side it can be like fun stuff yeah. where it's like the wacky, wacky waving, waving inflatable, inflatable arm flailing tube man. man wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man in the field right and that just is such a cool visual to kind of play with but then the other stuff it's like old school Hitchcock like scenes where like the there's blood just falling all over this house and it's just raining blood and that just feels like an old school kind of horror film and it's like that's what he brings. He brings this connection of like old filmmaking and new ideas and just merges them together beautifully. I think this might be my favorite Jordan Peele movie in terms of aesthetic, in terms of cinematography, in yeah. terms of how everything is shot. And maybe that's because Get Out and Us were mostly in the dark, mostly kind of at night. And this movie is a lot of it's during the day. And I think that's where Jordan Peele is elevating himself as a director and as a filmmaker, where he's able to get some incredible shots. It, everything looks rich and premium and just looks beautiful and, well, it, and it fits. It is premium because the difference is like that Get Out cost $5 million to make. This movie cost $70 million to make. And he was able to get people who work with Christopher Nolan or guys who work with uh, other big name directors. And he was able to use those resources for himself for the first time. So this is like his shot. At like, all right, cool, give me money and let me just show you what I can make. And that's smart because of the people that you just mentioned that he's working with. Because I've seen other directors go from indie movie given $70 million or $100 million. And yeah. it's like, where is the money? Yeah. I want to see the money on screen. And Jordan Peele, like he is now capable. Give him 100 mil next time. Give yeah. him 150 mil next time. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. he's going to make sure the money is on the screen. Do you think that we will see a Jordan Peele sequel at some point? I hope not. If I'm being honest with you, I, I want to keep all these movies independent and separate. Let them breathe. Let them be evaluated and discussed and rewatched time and time again. Maybe we can have some connective tissue. Like I think we spoke about this last week, where Tarantino's movies there is some connective tissue if you really want to, you know, go deep. Yeah. But in terms of a direct sequel, I don't know. At the same time, if that's something that he wants to do, sign me up, man. Like whatever he wants to do, I'm 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 game for it. It's you know kind what of I mean? interesting because he is the franchise at this point. Yeah. Right. It's the same way that like, Tarantino is the franchise. He every time you want to watch a movie, it's you expect a certain thing from a Jordan Peele movie, but it's not like a, a linear story or a theme or something. You just expect your mind to be blown every single time. Do you want a sequel? I don't know. I, I think this if there is a, a movie that I think could get a sequel from Jordan Peele's movies, I feel like 
every single one if you really want to you could flesh out a sequel mm. i don't know which one kind of deserves a sequel more than this one though because they just they even uh, allude to it at the start they're like we want to get enough money so we can get the sequel they right. even said it in the movie and it's like mm. fuck like if any movie is big enough or like or has done enough world building this is it right like if it's gonna happen this feels like the one wow that's an interesting question i wouldn't say nope because that jean jacket dies he you know he he's gone yeah but if it's one entity we don't know if it's an alien we don't know if it's like an ancient being like we don't really know what it is we don't have any answers right and that's the thing we have zero answers if they really want to build on the lore of like whatever jean jack it was the the, whatever the hell that was you can turn it into whatever you want there's Mm. enough space to do whatever the fuck you want here's the thing and i mentioned x files earlier on but jordan peele is a big fan of the outer limits and this guy is not short of ideas that's why I don't even feel like we might even get to a situation that there will be a sequel. I feel like this guy's probably got a black book and in that black book, he's probably got like 50 different ideas, whether it be for shorts, TV shows, movies, whatever. Yeah. This guy is not short of ideas and he may just take a bit of this, a bit of that and it's kind of like his mind is in its prime right now in terms of creativity and I want him to continue to put out original stuff. Well, I think that's like what the interesting thing is because you always hear about like, all right, cool, Tarantino was going to make a Luke Cage movie right. or a Silver Surfer movie or this movie or that. He has so many projects that he left in the dust, right? And he ends up making like nine movies so far. Whereas Jordan Peele, I'm sure it's the same thing. He probably has like every offer under the sun. He even talked about the idea of like, well, would you do a major film franchise, an established film franchise? And uh, he was like, oh, that, that, that kind of takes the fun out of it, right? Like he, the, the fun for him is like creating this world and right. building off of that. And I respect music it, to my ears, yeah, yeah, love yeah. it. That's really what I want to hear. The MCU is what it is. DC is what it is. Like these are fun franchises, but there has to be somebody out there who's number one putting out original content but it's almost more like a i see it almost like as an artistic responsibility that somebody who's capable of making movies like this continue to fucking make movies like this then again you have guys out there like christopher nolan who is very much one of the most original and one of the best filmmakers of the last 25 years he went and made a batman trilogy yeah right and so let's see what happens over the next couple of years Mm -hmm. you know i'm sure jordan peele as a kid like everyone must have had his favorite comic book or his favorite story or his favorite like movie franchise maybe he's a big james bond fan or whatever yeah right and an opportunity now falls on his lap because he's proven himself time and time again his movies are critically and commercially very very successful and it's like oh do you want to do that little dream project when that you would have loved to have made when you were 25 years old well here you go and here's 200 million (laughs) dollars it's interesting right because it's like Yes, there is that Christopher Nolan aspect, but that also changed how we made movies, mm. right? Like it made everything so much bigger. And I'm sure for Jordan Peele, it's going to be hard to like go back and make a smaller movie at this point because he made something this big. Mm. The other side is like the Tarantino where he's like, I don't care about any of that. You know what I love about Nope the most though? It's the genre. It's not straight up horror. I, I literally thought at one point, oh, is he just going to be the horror director? Like, no, he's showing, listen, I'm going to give you some elements of horror in this movie, but it's a mystery. And I feel like that's where his kind of wings can really expand with his creativity. It's like he can play around with other genres instead of just being pigeonholed as this generation's best horror filmmaker or something like that. Well, I don't think that's like, it feels almost like the same way he's creating his own line. He's creating his own, like the genre of a Jordan Peele movie is non-specific, right? right? He can do whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah. It's just, I think he's very intrigued by what horror is. And, and frankly, I think like him kind of staying in that lane makes his movie so much more interesting because the the idea of like what we don't know going into Jordan Peele movies is half the fun at this point. Right. 
right? Well, let's get into some of our categories. As far as best character, who'd you end up going with? I mean, uh, it's pretty obvious for you. Yeah, Kiki Palmer as Emerald Hayward. I'm just so interested to see where her career goes now moving forward from this. Uh, I feel like she's got the best dialogue. Her she, her performance has jumped off the screen for me, just jumped off the page. It was so memorable. And um, like I said, like I feel like it was a, a good duality between her and Daniel Kaluuya. Without Daniel Kaluuya playing it straight up the way he did, Kiki's performance isn't what it was. Absolutely. It's funny. It's interesting because she is such a charismatic human being. Yeah. This is perfect casting because the character works so well because it's Kiki Palmer. Yeah. My pick for best character was OJ, was Danny Kaluuya. That intensity was like just just so much, right? And it's almost like uh, Danny Kaluuya was talking about how he was watching like a rap video. He was watching Beanie Siegel uh, at like this this video where somebody was rapping right in front of him at like a ba- like a battle rap, right? Mm-hmm. And he was just talking about like him just standing there looking at this guy rapping and the intensity of watching that motherfucker rap. And they, but the uncomfortableness that you were getting from just Beanie Siegel being in that frame. That's the, like, that's a perfect encapsulation of like what I felt when I was watching Danny Kaluuya. The intensity, even if he's not the contributor on the screen at that time, he is contributing mm-hmm. in a massive way every single time. That guy just oozes charisma for me. Yeah. Uh, what about best scene? This one's tough. This is really tough. I, I, I threw two into the, into the mix here and I'm still not sure which way I'm going to lean here, but the first one is the the kids dressed up as apes in the barn. I mean, yes. talking about horror, like that got me big time. I agree. That's the scariest part of the movie. Easily, yeah. by far. And, yeah. and, and a movie that doesn't really have too many moments like that. Yeah. By the time you get to that moment, you're like, yo. And this is before the big revelation, before you get too much information. Things are still very much a mystery. I'm like, I'm literally having a panic attack at this, <laughs> in the, during this whole scene. Right? I remember like hearing that and like there's this creepy little laugh that they keep making. And I was like, shit, that's going to be iconic. Right. That's going to be the one. I thought that was what the movie was, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm hitting, I'm just hearing that noise and I'm like, oh, that's going to be the one that sticks. Oh, it was so, so good. Uh, and then the other one is when Jean Jacket is actually hovering over the house and you kind of alluded to it earlier on, but it, he just start, or it just starts to spew all over it, sucking it up and throwing it in, blood all over the place. It's so claustrophobic. I was just like, whoa, this is like serious, like anxiety here for like the characters. If I'm going to choose one or the other, I'm probably going to lean towards the kids in the barn at mm-hmm. nighttime. Um, I felt like that was the one moment of the entire movie where I was literally shitting my pants. I think the other one is uh, the Gordy scene. Yeah, right? like for the, sure. The, the balloon popping when the monkey went crazy. It's 1998. The monkey's going fucking bananas. Uh, at, just, at first, it's attacking the, the woman and you just see the legs there. And they don't actually show anything, right? They don't show him attacking the man. You see the man just kind of pop up and try to run away. Be like, Gordy, no, no. And he just tries to get away. And and it's just the, what you don't see, which is so much more terrifying. And it, it's just like so disturbing to see how the monkey kind of flips the switch. Mm-hmm. And then they also have that part of the scene where the monkey tries to communicate with the kid and goes to give him a fist bump. And you're like, in my head, I'm like, oh, this is going to be the exploding fist bump. Boom. He gets shot in the head and he explodes. And it's just like, damn. Yeah. That was perfectly executed. The way they set it up with the exploding fist bump, everything. Just masterfully done. And not only that, but the whole Gordy thing is like straight up a metaphor for the entire fucking movie. Oh, yeah, 100%. And if anyone's a a fan of uh, that whole situation, that kind of mini story with Gordy in the overall arc of Nope, if you go to Jordan Peele's uh, Twitter account, he actually released a mock uh intro of this 90s sitcom 
that actually shot and produced for Gordy's home. So yeah. check that out if you get a chance. It's so interesting to think of like the, the whole movie, they're talking about like stunt animals and all that kind of stuff. But in the shooting of this movie, they had to do all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And to think like how the animals had to like react during those situations. Uh, it was very interesting as well. Uh, what about star rating wise? Where does this end up? Five being the best movie of the year, zero being the worst. Where does this end sure, up? Sure, sure. Yeah, so I gave it a 4.25. I feel like it's one of um, Jordan Peele's best movies. Get Out is still number one for me personally. Uh, I feel like it's one of the most original movies you'll see this year. It's definitely, you know, not, I wouldn't consider it a summer blockbuster, but it's one of those movies that I'm so glad is, is released during the summer. Because I feel like this is the kind of movie that can cut through some of the white noise. Like, you see a movie like Jurassic Park, you know, come out and it's like a certain, like, it's made all this money. I still haven't seen it and I've heard it's got some pretty bad reviews this is the kind of movie you should be going out of your way for to watch I hope it gets good referrals and gets good reviews which I think it is and uh, and yeah I'm just really happy that once again Jordan Peele is just serving us with some good stuff here man yeah I, I went with like 4.25 I feel like almost like uh, you know when you watch Arrival yeah right and that maybe movie made you feel like kind of weird during the process of the movie and you're not sure what the hell's going on right but then in the end you gain so much clarity this is the opposite. Mm-hmm. I was like on the ride f- trying to figure everything else. Like, oh, this makes sense. This makes sense. And they're giving you little tidbits of information. But by the end, I'm like, oh, I know nothing. Right. Right. And and it's, it's almost uh, it's a, such a it's a very unique experience. Right. Like I would love to just talk to Jordan Peele and like have like hours and hours of conversation. Just be like, OK, so I, I want to break down this entire fucking movie. Like I want to do my own personal director's commentary on this because it feels very much like Jurassic Park, like a monster movie like a kaiju movie and the real horror uh the way he kind of presents it is like putting yourself in like a position of danger at this mm. point that's what the characters are doing right they're putting themselves in a position they don't have to be a part of this they can look away that's the whole thing right like that's what the metaphor of the movie is you can look away you don't have to be a part of this spectacle but you want to be a part of the spectacle so you're a part of putting yourself in danger by the way, you can just tell that Peel's a massive fan of Akira. Did you see that uh, shot with the Kiki on the motorbike kind of sliding through the barrier of the of the, uh, the theme park? Yeah, yeah, It yeah, was like yeah. a direct comparison to that same shot in Akira. That's a great call. Actually, before we even move on, do you, if you were, obviously you've ranked it a little bit. So Get Out's number one. What's number two and three? Get Out's number one. This is number two. And then Us is number three. I think that's... Fair. I think that's how I feel right now too. I kind of, I'm actually going to go watch this movie again tonight, mm-hmm. by the way, just a heads up. But I feel like this is one of those things. Repeat watches are just going to be more and more fulfilling as you go on. And by the way, so if I was going to, you know, we haven't reviewed um, us because the podcast wasn't around back then. But if I was going to give it a star ring, I would also give that a 4.25. Mm. So it's almost like get out is number one. And then it's almost like 2A and then 2B. Yeah, I know? agree. I actually agree exactly. Because right. uh, it's very much, I think, it's going to be like almost what you just watched yeah. is going to be the one that kind of lasts with you a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. But us and Nope feel very much on like a sim level. Uh, but And that level is still fucking excellent. Excellent, exactly. And just who are you? Oh, I've been dubbed many names by many people. A ruler. A conqueror. He who remains, a jerk. But it's it's not as simple as a name. All right, so uh, let's get into uh, uh, some SDCC news. We're recording this uh, the day after SDCC Saturday, the Marvel reveal at DC, all that kind of stuff. So this is all like a fresh take of everything that's happened, by the way. But I kind of want to go into Marvel first, right? The amount of what they announced was fucking tremendous first thing is that uh wakanda forever is gonna be the last thing for phase four 
Phase 5 is now going to include... Uh, it's going to start at Ant-Man. It's got Secret Invasion, Guardians, Echo, Loki, Marvels, Blade, Ironheart, Agatha, Daredevil, uh, Captain America, no New World Order, which is a fucking awesome name for a title, uh, and Thunderbolts. And then for Phase 6, so far we've been announced that we're going to get Fantastic Four and Avengers The Kang Dynasty and Avengers Secret Wars. Everything has been confirmed. No fucking mysteries. We were actually talking about this, by the way, uh, on last week's show where we're like, well, it feels like they'll probably give us a little bit, but they'll give us more direction when D23 happens because that's their show. Right. And they said, fuck that. We're going to give you everything. Every piece of direction you want, everything you, you might not be aware of, we're going to just give it to you right now. Look, Fania Comic Con, Marvel was going to be the most anticipated panel and they stole the show. They fucking delivered. They delivered, man. They delivered huge. And like, I can only imagine what they were, what we're gonna get at D twenty three, which is in September. I feel like at D twenty three, they'll probably fill out the rest of Phase six, or at least give us a whole bunch of casting announcements. I have a feeling they're gonna emphasize Star Wars more because if they did all this for Marvel already, right. it feels like that's a great platform to get people excited about their other properties. I just feel like with D twenty three, we're gonna get Star Wars and we're gonna get Marvel. We're getting Marvel too, obviously. Yeah. But like at this point, what else can they announce? Casting announcements. Who's the Fantastic Four? Will we get some X-Men information? That's the one thing that was omitted from this whole SDCC um, panel. No mention of anything to do with the X-Men. The big rumor right now is obviously, you know, Doctor Doom movie somewhere. Maybe that's in phase six. But anyway, let's just digest what we got right now. Yeah. And man, uh, I'll give you some of my key takeaways in terms of what I'm most excited about. Daredevil getting an 18 episode run. I'm such a, I, I, know, I know you haven't seen the Daredevil series on Netflix. I cannot recommend that enough. Like. Netflix did a really good job with the IP that they had to work with in terms of the Marvel characters and Daredevil was by far the best of the bunch and it's no surprise that they literally brought everything in to the MCU now I'm going to continue that story but the crazy thing is he's not just a part of his own thing he's going to be an Echo yeah he's going to be in She-Hulk apparently he's going to be in uh, something else I'm forgetting one but he's going to be a big part of like I'd imagine he'll be um, involved in some Spider-Man movies as well. Well, actually, like, that was the other one. The Spider-Man uh, animated series, he's going to be a part of that as well. Right, right, right. So it's interesting to see that they're already teasing like that team up. Yeah. When people were hope like fan casting that after uh, No Way Home. And we also know that phases four to six is essentially now the multiverse saga. Yeah. So phases one to three was the Infinity Saga. Now we're going into the multiverse saga. And now we know that Secret Wars is the destination, right? That's the final destination. We're all aware. And we were aware of this going in right? yeah and it's just interesting to see that they confirmed everything and on top of that we're getting two avengers movies in 2025 six months apart may and november that's that, nuts you know it's interesting to think like you're asking your fan base a lot right what i i think that's a lot because it's one thing to be like you know what everybody watch this movie infinity war next year when you guys are caught up we'll do Endgame. now it's like guys do your homework do your homework there's a deadline but I feel like that's exactly what they're doing with the multiverse saga is that they're introducing this whole concept of different dimensions and, you know, different universes. And and that's probably a much harder concept to get across to non-nerdy comic book fans than it was, hey, I'm just going to go collect these six stones and I'm going to be the most powerful person in the whole universe. That was a lot easier. It's like a little treasure hunt to get these six, you know, infinity stones. But I think they're doing a good job through the TV shows, through the movies. I'll tell you one thing that was a big surprise for me when I was looking online. A lot of feel like Marvel's back, quote unquote. I feel like over the last year to 18 months, 
yes, there's been some massive hits, but we've even spoken about the uh, the the fact that there's been some mediocre content that, yeah. that's been delivered, whether it comes to the movies, the TV shows, and looking at my timeline yesterday, a lot of fans that perhaps weren't really feeling everything post Endgame now are like, yo, I'm back. I'm absolutely back for what they got coming up now because I think Secret Wars is one of the most popular comic books of all time. We spoke about the idea of Secret Wars could potentially be a trilogy. The fact that it's going to be one movie following on from the Kang Dynasty is nuts to me, man. Well, that's what's interesting too because when you talk about Infinity War and Endgame, we're aware that that took an entire year to shoot and then they had to go and do all the post-production, all that kind of stuff. We're looking at an Endgame of 2025 right right it's already 2022 we're halfway done anyways and we don't know who the directors are who's gonna be in it blah 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 this movie feels like a really big effort i can't imagine that all these dates are gonna stick right it's just not possible there's too many fucking projects there's like 20 something projects in the next like two years right it's just impossible that this is gonna happen so i'm very curious to see like if anything does stick are there any projects in particular that piqued your interest like i'm so hyped for so xyz many. you know what I'll, I'll even say like on an animation front the idea of marvel zombies getting the tvma rating that sounds amazing mm-hmm. to me right that we had so much fun with like uh invincible and all these mature kind of comics and for marvel to be doing something like that that sounds amazing well also this weekend they announced that deadpool and logan well deadpool one and two and logan are now on disney plus yeah so disney are now literally involved in r-rated movies and it's it's absolutely the norm now yeah yeah absolutely and on, on top of that like obviously ant-man is like the beginning of the next phase but i think the the most interesting part of that is that kang is about to become like this really iconic character in the yes. mcu right and it's somebody that they're like listen in 2025, Kang Dynasty, get fucking familiar with this guy. Yeah, He is our guy. Examine the shit of him. Do whatever you got to do because for the next three years, we're going to ride with him. Yep. Very specifically. I am very intrigued, obviously, by like Loki, X-Men 97. That's going to be so much fun. But uh, as far as the movies go, I think my peak of interest at this point is uh, Blade. Right, it's still going to be Blade. It's still just going to be to see like how they kind of play with that property because as far as like, you know, we're, we're used to like a lot of these characters. We we love Avengers movies. I'm excited to see what they do with with the, the team up of all the villains in Thunderbolts. But as far as original, brand new characters, Blade is like this X factor that makes a lot of this feel like it's going to be a lot of fun. It's the same way like Deadpool kind of brings this unique and fresh energy yeah. to the MCU. Blade feels like something fresh that we haven't seen before and. Uh, I'm very excited to see where they go with that. And you know what's wild about Blade? They start production in October. It releases next November. Yeah. That's a very quick turnaround. That is a quick turnaround. 12 months. Marvel is just super efficient. Just churning it out, man. Yeah. And and you know, like with Mahershala Ali, like I feel like the, if it was anybody else, I would be like, oh, that's pretty quick. But I feel like quality wise, that guy is somebody I trust. The other thing, I I mean, I think the more relevant thing we quickly talk about is Wakanda Forever. That's the next movie that is the last movie of phase four I've, this is the first time i've watched a trailer since spider-man no way home right and i notoriously do not watch trailers you made it a point to say gervy you have to watch this trailer yeah so g- give me your thoughts on it oh man i'm not gonna lie i choked up i shed a couple of tears man um it's just beautiful it's just a, a beautiful trailer if you go online right now people are already kind of like ranking their best trailers of all time and this is in the conversation of like one of the best trailers what is the job of a trailer 
right? It's to make you aware that this movie's coming out, but it's to just give you some sort of idea in terms of the tone and the, the a little sense of the story, but just to kind of get you excited. And most trailers go above and beyond that and just kind of give the movie away in the trailer. The use of No Woman, No Cry blended in, blending into Kendrick's All Right as the score for this two-minute trailer. It's all just visuals outside of just a small portion of Angela Bassett's monologue. It's so weighty. There's so much emotion involved here that I watched like 15, 16 times and I don't feel like it's ruining anything of the movie. We we knew and we've been speaking about this for I think easily 12 months, maybe even since we started this podcast where we knew that Wakanda Forever is the most important movie in this next phase. It's the one that I feel like has, or we feel like has the most pressure on it on its shoulders. Ryan Coogler has so much um, to deal with, just given the fact that they have to deal with the death of Chad Bozeman and, and how they kind of deliver that in the story of Black Panther. And what we've got so far, it, I have so much confidence in what they're going to be doing with this movie that um I, this is this this trailer made me feel like i don't think i'm ready for the movie i'm bringing kleenex with me man i'm gonna be shedding some tears i don't i notorious do not cry i i feel like i'm a bit of an alpha male when it comes to like letting go of my emotions but god damn it they got me good with this one and um it's gonna be an emotional emotional ride when the movie eventually comes out and i feel like with all the other announcements that we got yesterday this is the one that's getting the most you know day after chat the visuals, people talking about the score, Angela Bassett, uh, just, you know, Ryan Coogler, just Wakanda Forever right now is easily the most anticipated movie for me in the next 12 months. You know what? I, I think it's like the job of like a gr- great piece of art to make you feel like a strong emotion mm. and for a movie to make you tear up like that is what should happen right that's what we should be hoping for right that's a beautiful thing a comic book movie yeah. like this is, a, this is a, we're nerds we're geeks and like the fact that we're living in a time right now where you're so like uh, <laughs> invested in a comic book world where the characters and the death of characters and you know how a movie is kind of like you know explored and portrayed through the, the lens of a filmmaker can tug on those heart heartstrings and kind of really bring the emotion out of you yeah. is incredible to me still yeah we we want to be a part of this ride you know like we want this stuff to happen we like we want these emotional uh stakes to feel important right and that's what you're completely right about and it's funny because for wakanda forever like you don't really think about the aspect of like being on set together all day and they build this bond with each other and then they lost Chadwick Boseman and it feels like it's it's way more intimate than like, oh, well, my coworker passed away and that's sad. But like this feels almost like much more familial. Whereas like uh, you can kind of tell just like the impact emotionally that this movie had as an experience of like shooting it. But now if, if you saw it like when they showed the trailer SDCZ, like so many people are so overcome with emotion yeah. after the fact. The cast just going through it and like losing their brother and like it's just a lot and that's why this movie feels very weighty and heavy but for them to deliver like a beautiful product is going to be it's going to be like more important than well where does this fit in the MCU? Right. You know what I mean? Like that that's not the conversation I feel like I'm having walking into this movie and even after watching the trailer it's interesting because number one you're right like you do get that emotional resonance but 
on top of that, I start think like I I almost blocked out all like the MCU kind of stuff like and like the, the images and stuff like I don't want to think about it because I want to be like I want to freshly digest all of that kind of stuff sure. as it happens. But on the other side, can we talk about how like this is like a whole world of like water and it's like an interesting way they kind of are exploring the MCU in, in this trailer, and then a month later we're about to get Avatar two doing the exact same thing. Yeah, do you, how do you think that affects the, the, a consumer? As far as being wowed by the effects, because that's what James Cameron was like, really like that's his like ace in the hole. Guess what, guys? I made Avatar 2 is fucking awesome visually. I'm about to blow your minds with this underwater world. Well, this is the thing, right? Cameron's been working on this for what a decade. Right? Ryan Coogler's been working on this project now for what the last 18 months, two years. And it's essentially you've got Wakanda, which is essentially established, but you're gonna be we're gonna be introduced to the world of Atlantis. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna be spending a lot of time underwater here. Yeah. And it's there's going to be direct comparisons here, and it's a month apart, yeah, or two months apart, whatever it is. But like, it's it feels very like a relevant part of the conversation because these visuals are going to translate and be compared from one to another. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, on top of that, I also just hope Kendrick is back for the entire soundtrack. I don't oh, know me how too. I don't know how feasible that is considering he just dropped an album. Who knows how hard he's been working and what he's been doing? I hope he's a part of it though, because one of my favorite parts of the original Black Panther was getting that album afterwards and living with it. And I think that's what gives uh, that first movie such a sustainable living, uh, like a life after the fact. Right. Because everyone was sitting there and it's part of your life. It's part of your shared experience. We're yeah. listening to Big Shot with Travis and, and Kendrick and we're listening to Panda, uh, Paramedics and all that kind of stuff. These are bangers. The fact that they used uh, All Right in the trailer seems to give me some hope that he's going to be involved in the soundtrack project. I hope so. If it's not to the extent he was the first time around, hopefully he delivers a couple of songs. So uh, you, you didn't give me any takes of uh, DC. What would you what'd you think of DC <laughs> during SDCC? Yo, listen, I'm kind of glad that you raised that because everything that Marvel did yesterday, well, everything that Marvel did at SDCC this year, once again, just reiterated how head and shoulders above they are you know when it comes to dc yeah you know it's it just- really did yeah because you know what it feels like there's such a mess at dc right now we've been talking about it for years creatively and now there's the whole ezra miller there's all this like there's so much we don't know what the hell's going on with henry cavill is he superman still i don't know mm-hmm. they were supposed they, the rumor was that he was going to show up and continue and at this point they showed the trailer for shazam 2 they showed the trailer for black adam 2 or black adam 1 and uh that was it. That was it. That was it. And it was like, all right, well, I, I sometimes it, it feels like the presentation of The Rock and they're really depending on The Rock to carry this franchise going forward because yeah. he was the show that, so that for their entire presentation. If it wasn't for The Rock, what the fuck else do they have? Yeah, I'm just, again, outside of Patterson and Reeve and the Batman world that they're building. But that doesn't even feel like it's part of this. No, that's what I'm saying. In terms of Warner Brothers and the the ownership of the DC IP, outside of what they're doing with Batman and and what Reeves particularly is doing with the Batman world right now, I have little to zero interest in pretty much everything else in their their catalogue. They just haven't delivered enough to make me care. You know, outside of maybe Peacemaker and again, that's James Gunn. Um, and Suicide Squad, but it's it's slim pickings here, man. It's slim yeah. pickings. And, and listen, not to say that every damn thing that Marvel has produced has just slapped us with a five-star rating or anything like that. No, there's been some misses for sure. But overall, I'm enjoying the journey. Like, even watching a show recently as, as Miss Marvel, I didn't binge watch it. I watched it weekly, episodically. I had a good time watching it. We didn't get around to reviewing it or anything like that, but 
I enjoyed my journey watching that six episode show over six weeks and I was good with it and I'm gonna move on to the next one move on to the next one and I know that it's gonna play a part in the larger picture in the in this you know multiverse saga listen at the end of the day Marvel's giving us direction and that's what we've been talking about for weeks right like I am a, like uh, where are we going right and that's what we were hoping for as far as information for SDCC right where are we going now we have an end game like, secret wars we have an end game in yeah. secret wars but like <laughs> with DC it's like all right well uh guys enjoy this movie and this movie and uh we'll see you there yeah yeah it's like <laughs> yeah. well like all right cool like I can do that uh, but like right. I'm not really excited going forward yeah uh but yeah that's everything for SCCC and we'll talk about more news next week and all that kind of stuff last thing I want to get into before we get into our recommendations is SummerSlam I just want to talk about that a little bit it's an interesting time in pro wrestling we'll get to the actual card in a second but like obviously the biggest uh, elephant in the room is Vince McMahon just retired from the WWE after serving as their CEO for the past 30 plus years and being the most iconic and important figure in pro wrestling ever and uh, this feels like it should be the biggest news story in pro wrestling ever I'm not sure it actually is that right now am I wrong a tweet on a Friday afternoon it's a weird way to retire it's from weird. a company and a business and an industry that you've essentially single-handedly led for the, the vast majority of your life. I'm going to be in Nashville for SummerSlam and I think the stakes just got raised because I feel like, you know, what is the atmosphere going to be? What's the vibe going to be like? What are people in the business going to be saying and talking about? Yeah. Where What direction is WWE going in now post Vince McMahon. And, and how do you even know like where they're going to be? Going? It feels like WWE is so, they have such an obligation to their shareholders and that is always a part of the conversation of like, okay, cool, I want this to change and I want this to change. And it's like, well, are they making the most money? And yeah, they're always fucking making the most money. So it's interesting to see if they're going to be making those changes that we hope for when they've already under the, 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 the ruling of Vince McMahon and his direction that's what's been kind of killing it and mm. making him as successful as they are because he kind of cuts the fat he doesn't care about what you know hardcore fans care about or niches care about he just cuts through and says no i'm going for casual fans and i want them to be able to understand what the hell's going on so we've got nick khan and stephanie mcmahon as co-ceos let's see how that plays out yeah paul levesque triple h is back as the executive vice president of talent relations and he feels like a logical successor creatively yes to vince everything he did with nxt was just fantastic and it was a shame that he wasn't allowed to kind of continue to grow the brand because it was a legitimate brand i mean they were selling out arenas man for god's sakes yeah it's interesting though because like his direction of nxt was so different from what we get from Vince, yeah, right, and and for them to basically say that didn't work, it didn't work, right? Like we are changed it to NXT 2.0, we changed the entire direction of where we we're going. Because of that, that like you know gave birth to something like AEW, yeah, right, and that's where that legacy is kind of carrying on. The spirit of what NXT originally was is AEW at this point. Some of the best shows that you and me have been to together have been NXT takeovers. Yeah, and and to think like like when you were doing that, and the fans are like, yes, this is what I want. And then for some executives to walk up to and be like, no, yeah, hold the fuck off on that shit because that's not working monetarily. Like, I guess monetarily, like, I don't know. Like, I, it, we we don't really get that much financial information or like an idea of direction because WWE doesn't stay the course when they actually, you know, make a choice, right? right? Like, they always kind of start doing something and then they cut off the legs of it. So yeah. it's interesting to see where Triple H can possibly move forward with this. Um, last thing I want to say about Vince though is like. 
he's such a complicated character. It's hard. To, like I see people like mourning, see people celebrating. I see people like kind of all sides of the spectrum of like what happened with Vince, right? And you know, and especially the timing of everything. Like we, we there was an investigation going on with all his allegations and all that kind of stuff. It feels like it's inevitable that more information is going to start coming out. It feels like a very weird time to kind of leave one of the most iconic figures in pop culture as like this. Uh, he's like, it's almost like a sentence that just trails off. I don't know what the hell to think. I don't know what the hell to take from this. Yeah, well, I guess we're going to find out in the coming weeks and months, you know, what this retirement actually meant in the larger scheme of things. Yeah. Um, if I'm purely speculating, I agree with you. I feel like more information is going to come out. There'll be more stories. Um, and let's see, you know, how this impacts Vince McMahon personally. But what he has done, he hasn't gone down with the ship. Yeah. He's kind of left the WWE. He's, you know, departed. He's almost, the WWE is protected now yeah. moving forward because it's without Vince McMahon at the helm. Do you think we'll ever see him again in WWE? That's a great question. That's a great question. If I had to say yes or no, I'd say yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Um, that's why it doesn't feel like a final yeah. kind of situation for me. Um, but as far as SummerSlam, let's just, if you could just, you know, quickly just like sell it, tell me what I should be excited about. Tell me, what what you're kind of hoping for walking out of SummerSlam? This is a weird one for me because the main event, Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. Shit, they're doing that? Yeah. Wow, I can't believe they're doing such a fresh. <laughs> and the big spin this time is a last man standing match. But I feel like the story's been done. Yeah, you know, it, it's like <laughs> it's been, been done. done. It's been done. But I feel like the uh, the the ace in the hole here is the fact that Theory is the the money in the bank holder yeah. of the briefcase. And he's been integral with how they've been kind of teasing him on Raw and SmackDown. Even as, you know, as recent as this past weekend, you know, it's him and Brock at the end. You know, Brock's taking him out. And it's like a last man standing match where someone has to be out for the count for like uh, 10 seconds. And the, the, the winner is obviously going to be just like completely destroyed. Yeah. Doesn't that sound on paper in kayfabe like the perfect opportunity for someone that's got a money in the bank briefcase to come in and cash it in yeah but also and also given vince mcmahon has left isn't this now the most perfect time to go into a brand new direction and hit the reset button you know what it's like on one side yes i agree like that that's what the logical thing would be or even that's what like a normal company would do if they were trying to shake shit up i just don't know if they're shaking shit up mm. we haven't been given any direction to show that you know what shit's about to change, right? And, and if, if you ask me, it's very likely that it's possible that that's going to happen and Austin Theory's going to walk out of SummerSlam as a fucking star. The guy who beat Roman Reigns, the guy who, you know, fucked with Brock Lesnar, whatever it ends up being. But I think on the other side, the the my cynical part of WWE booking is like, oh, he's going to try to run out. The music's going to hit. Somebody's going to be laid out in the ring and then Dolph Ziggler is going to come out and lay this guy oh, out. And yeah. that's going to be the end of the show. That's actually a great, that's a great right, I'm just being real. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Paul Heyman's going to be holding fucking Roman Reigns up or Brock Lesnar up after he turned on whoever the fuck he turns on this time. Well, the good thing is, is we're just hours removed from Vince McMahon leaving. So it's, it's nice to be looking forward to a WWE pay-per-view when there's almost so much uncertainty when it comes to behind the scenes yeah. and from the executive level. We just don't know right now what direction they're going to go in and it's too soon to say. That's been the story of the WWE for the past couple of years because the on-screen stuff hasn't been very satisfying. So we're just more encapsulated by what the hell's going on outside. Mm -hmm. Life sucks and then you die. Um, but yeah, let's get into our last segment of the show. Let's get wrecked, our weekly recommendation segment. Can you hit me with Sandu's pick? Yeah, I absolutely can. And you know what? This was a surprise for me. I'm not going to lie. 
Miss Marvel, Disney Plus, six episodes, a real, real surprise hit for me. I didn't, you know, have many expectations going into it because I wasn't familiar with the character. Um, but I found it to be charming. I found it to be endearing, uh, oozing with charisma. And honestly, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but ultimately it's actually very, very important to the future of the MCU in terms of how this show eventually ends. What can I say? Do not sleep on this series. Like, go out of your way to watch it, binge it, do what you have to. It's just bursting with life and... It's just, again, you know, with Shang-Chi, with Black Panther, now with Miss Marvel, just seeing the overall MCU have such a diverse palette of culture and characters and stories and nations being, you know, represented. It's a, it's a beautiful thing, man. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Uh, for me, I am going with It Follows. It's uh, just on the, the spirit of what we watch with Nope, right? Like, it's a highly conceptual and like a really original horror movie, right? It, even if you're not a fan of the horror genre, this film is just like tremendous storytelling. And as someone who is a big fan, uh, as always, of coming of age movies, this movie really understands and like captures the idea of like being vulnerable and scared and excited about growing up in such a unique way. And I don't want to spoil a thing. It's such a uh, same thing. If you walked into Nope not knowing anything, go watch It Follows along this it's a if there's if this is a horror tree this is on the same branch uh but yeah go out of your way check it out but yeah that's the end of the show jumbo where can anybody find us we are at screen off script on facebook instagram twitter and tiktok we're available on spotify and apple Podcasts. and for those of you that do listen to us please do us a favor take 20 seconds out rate and review us it honestly goes a long way on helping our show get found by new audiences awesome thank you for checking us out this week guys take care <laughs>